You're listening to the Journey to Impact Fireside Chat Series with Gino Borges, curator of the Poetry of Impact, a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers, to co-create a world where one day all people and planet can thrive together. Hi, I'm Gino Borges, curator of the Journey to Impact podcast series. Joining us today is Amy Novogratz. Amy is the co-founder and managing partner of Aquaspark, an investment fund with a focus on sustainable aquaculture, working toward the production of safe, accessible aqua life, such as fish, shellfish, and plants in ways that do not harm our oceans. Amy also served as the, as the director of the TED Prize for almost a decade, leading more than 20 global collaborations across a broad spectrum of sectors, including healthcare, education, science, tech, conservation, art, and activism. Finally, Amy serves on the boards of eFishery, Gaia, and Expert C. Amy is also a member of Tonic, which is a global network of impact investors that invest in positive social and environmental change. And I'm proud to announce that this conversation with Amy is brought to you as part of a partnership between the Poetry of Impact and Tonic. Welcome, Amy. Thanks, Gina. It's great to be here. Well, you are the first person that I have interviewed that has, <laughs> I just love using this verb, has uh, you know dived into oceans as a form of impact. And so I would love to understand how you came to the point where it's realizing like, hey, you know what? There's a lot of stuff going on in the impact world, but this whole ocean thing is really intriguing. And this whole idea of marine life is, is something worth making happen. Like, I mean, where was that aha moment for you? Well, so you mentioned the TED Prize. Um, Sylvia Earle won the TED Prize. She, she's known as her deepness. She is one of the heroes of our planet who has been working on protecting the ocean for her entire life. I was working with her and it was at this moment where we kind of realized nobody had been talking about blue or ocean. It was all green and earth. And, and so she was out there saying, hold on, the way we protected the earth, we need to start protecting the ocean. Um, and so I got involved in helping this big wish come true for her. Um, that was basically like, let's, let's just bring awareness to the fact that um, we need the ocean. So we need to do everything we can to, to save it. I mean, like, literally our lives depend on it. Sure. Um, so there were a few things that kind of came together. One is the urgency of how like, the ocean's in terrible shape and not enough people were at the time paying attention to the ocean. Um, luckily, it's, it's actually changed quite a bit. And now the ocean is getting a lot more attention. Um, I met my partner through Sylvia Earle's wish as well. Um, and when we started kind of thinking of wanting to do something together, uh, it was our shared space, our shared network. He had already been doing work in the ocean. He was an entrepreneur who's built businesses and was looking at whether or not it was possible to kind of create financial models around protecting marine areas. Um, he kind of always knew that he wanted to uh, get to the point, you know, run, run, make, uh, build businesses and get to the point where then he could shift his attention to the planet's health 
and the ocean was his way in. I was both struck by the urgency of the ocean and also by the people in it, like Sylvia, who who are so dedicated and and just totally tireless in their pursuit to get people to pay attention. Um, it, it's massive, right? It's it's seventy percent of the, the the planet, and it's kind of in, in in a dire state. And it just felt like if if we didn't start doing things differently now, um, we were going to be in a lot of trouble. And the fact that it actually can regenerate, it can recover itself and get better. Um, it felt like all of these pieces were coming together. And I met my partner in that space. Um, like what, what could we do together with our shared network and interest around ocean health? And so that's how the conversation started. And then what grew out of it? Like, I mean, what does your help look like now in terms of Aquaspark? After you dove in and it sounds like your husband had this financial modeling background and you had the urgency and and the passion so it was more than just a construct to enter later um it was like it's not a construct to you to a large extent it's like it, it became sort of a a passion project that evolved into a product that that you're now offering the world to actually get involved and i love that distinction between yeah there's a lot of green awareness and now aquaspark is bringing awareness around the blueness of life as well and um, so we'd love to understand how the growth of your share to the outside world and what I refer to as the grammar of impact came about. Okay, first of all, I'm going to start counting your ocean puns and I appreciate everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, no, you know, I'm going to geek out on them. Trust me. <laughs> well, after thinking for a while, we surfaced and no. There you when, go. When we, um, so we started looking at ocean space and we knew we wanted to do, we wanted to create a business. Um, we both thought that the real way to affect change or one uh, important way to affect change was around kind of different types of business and really making kind of commercial business models scale that were doing good. So when we started looking at that space, um, it was just hard to figure out kind of a, a business around plastics pollution, which is a big ocean problem or ocean acidification. But Dependency on the ocean for protein. Um, it, it felt like it connected to food systems and then connected to so much else. Um, and we saw aquaculture, which at the time um, was almost as big as wild caught uh, fish for human consumption. So we, we knew hardly anything about it. This was like 2010, 11. Um, and most people didn't know much about it. They, they, if they knew anything, they knew its bad reputation. Um, but they didn't even really know why it had a bad reputation. It's just kind of what they had heard. Um, so we started uh, digging and kind of couldn't get over how big aquaculture was, how uncoordinated it was, that there was actually no real dedicated financing from the outside. So so what really pulled us in um, wasn't, it, was, it went way beyond the passion pretty quickly, but we realized that though we weren't aquaculturists, we hadn't managed to fund that we saw all these aspects of what we thought the industry really needed. Um, and, and we thought we could help offer those aspects. We saw the potential of aquaculture um, being really one of the best possible, lowest footprint, most resource efficient animal proteins to produce. Um, and where we saw good aquaculture, it was like, wait, wait, 
why aren't why isn't this the norm? Why aren't we doing everything this way? And instead, mostly the really good practices were actually only serving really premium markets. Um, so we started getting excited about what it would mean to kind of disrupt that and redesign the whole value chain of aquaculture so that you know farms everywhere could use alternative feed ingredients um, that had lower footprints that weren't uh, sourced from the wild and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the, and started putting the pieces together and it, it was really good timing as well. I mean, because there was a shift starting to shift to blue and it was like, I, I'm glad Aquaspark played a role in that, but it's been a ton of organizations and people out there for years shifting the focus to blue. Um, and, and we were there at that time. So, so that helped a lot as well. So um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to ask you to pick out your, you know, and he's saying, I know parent, no, I mean, no parent likes to end up picking out their favorite kid, but uh, to, to, to ground the conversation for people that don't know what aquaculture is, what does it actually look like? Like, I mean, what does a blue investment look like? Uh, can you take us to one or two um, portfolio companies or projects um, that you have in place that really are exhibit A for like what, like what can actually happen? So for sure. So, I mean, so aquaculture, you said it, it's the farming of fish, shellfish, plants like seaweed. Um and, you know, a, a fish farm comes in kind of many shapes and sizes. And you're probably hearing more and more about land-based or RAS systems or the systems are getting better and better, different species, different geographies. We wanted to see aquaculture as a global coordinated industry because we thought the lack of coordination was actually one of the big challenges. So we kind of look at every species, every system um, and invest all along the value chain. You know, it, it, you're not going to have great farming until you have better options for feed ingredients, until you have different ways to battle disease, until you have technology to start digitalizing aquaculture and making it transparent. So, so we, I think we have 22 investments right now and they're all along the value chain. So I could give you a farming example or a disease battling example, but kind of a great big picture example that actually don't tell anyone is one of my favorite investments because we got in early and it's an incredible team, an incredible story, but it's, it's a technology company in Indonesia. Now, aquaculture um, is, I think Indonesia is the fourth largest aquaculture producing company, country, and there are three and a half million fish farms just in Indonesia. So it's massive when you think of the aquaculture market there. And these young uh, students at the time realized that aquaculture was going to be a big part of our future. Um, they talk about kind of not growing up with great access to healthy protein, and they wanted to be a part of making sure that everybody had access to healthy protein. They actually started a, a tilapia farm to understand all the ins and outs and challenges of aquaculture, and also really instrumentally became a part of the kind of farming community. Um, and they realized that feed in aquaculture was one of the big challenges. Um, it's expensive. It's up to 80% of operating cost of a farm. Um, generally, it's, it's really opaque. It's hard to even know what's in your feed. Um, but also a lot of aquaculture feed relies on wild caught fish meal or soy or other things that are, are less than sustainable. Um, and so this company, eFishery, developed a technology that allowed uh, farmers to measure when fish are hungry by using sensors to monitor water movement. And they only feed fish and shrimp when they're hungry. 
So they save 24% of feed each cycle. J- just that almost doubles the profits of a farm, but also less environmental uh, you know, pollution, better fish health, like triple impact. Um, but the really exciting thing about this company is now you have data in aquaculture, which didn't really exist um, before companies like eFishery were around. Uh, and so with that data, uh, they have a fresh marketplace that allows uh, farmers to sell their fish directly to food services. Um, and they um, have a financing vehicle that allows smallholders in Indonesia to get financing from national banks in mm. Indonesia, because you all have all of this data kind of monitoring credit scores and whatnot. And so when you talk about being able to transform an industry, you, you know, usually it's not kind of one IoT company doing this big sweep, but uh, this is an incredible example of how an industry can be just transformed. And, and it's, it's still in its early days. They closed their Series B um, this summer, but they're in, you know, 40,000 farms or so and growing really rapidly and all that kind of aspects of their business are growing. And it really starts to show you what, especially kind of pond farming, smallholder farming, aquaculture, um, what it can grow into. So how do you, so it sounds like a lot of your partners, your investment partners, uh, or the, you know, the, uh, you know, the portfolio companies are abroad are global, uh, type of companies. How do you structure? I'm guessing you just can't have sort of a template mentality, uh, when, when it comes to these particular relationships. So like, how do you sort of massage these relationships to honor sort of the culture that you're entering? Um, and yet, you know, sort of your obligation to your, your investors and, you know, for you doing your diligence to protect your interests as well. I'm just sort of trying to understand how sort of that navigation begins and ends for you. So, I mean, generally, because we have a really long-term focus and we we stay partners for, you know, as long as it makes sense, we also get to know companies sometimes um, for quite a bit of time before we make the investment in them. Um, We always, when we're investing in a geography that we're not working in already, we always make sure we have a local co-investor. So in the case of a fishery, we actually had a great Indonesian VC that started with us. Um, and one, one of the things that we, we do well and um, that we bring kind of as a value add to our portfolio companies is that we're, we're good at engaging the right kind of partners. So like with the fishery, initially we were working with Winrock, USAID on different pilots and different, um, different markets. Uh, we, um, uh, we were working with other groups, connecting uh, uh, e-fishery to them to have commercial deals. In, in the, so we 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 kind of buffer the risks by bringing really great partners that that know the market in the region well, and and we get to know the companies, and we also choose really great teams. So teams that are kind of honest, open, transparent, put it on the table. Um, we try to do the same, so we both know who we're working with and and what we kind of want out of it. Yeah. And how, so, I mean, you mentioned um, so it's, it's something that's always sort of been of interest to me because, because I think it's sort of mixed messaging in the ocean protein the or the marine protein game. And, you know, I mean, you see in stores, for instance, uh, you know, the end of the supply chain, when all of a sudden you pick up a piece of salmon, it says, you know, farm raised versus wild, for, for instance. 
And, you know, there's been quite a few stories about how these farm raised fish are really is basically you're eating a bunch of corn um, and corn or soy, um, soy in a lot of cases. Um, and then also it tends to be, from my understanding, potential lower grade fishes like, I mean, tilapia necessarily may or may not be a like on par with salmon, for instance, or trout. And I don't know if this is correct or not. This is just some of my sort of cursory views, sort of the space. But if you can give us sort of an insight into like where like you see the current challenges and is that one of sort of where people are just like um, maybe diluting the impact a little bit by sort of not like really honoring the feedstock. Um, and so like, yes, there's a lot of fish available, but are we really eating corn or are we actually eating fish? Uh, you know, I mean, I know that probably sounds strange to somebody that's not, hasn't read these articles because when they go to the market, they see a piece of fish, but you sort of are what you eat, you know, to some extent, right? So, so, I mean, so aquaculture, one of the big challenges it has in general is, is actually all animal farming. I mean, it's true. part of the and always comes from feed, but yeah. our aquaculture. And I mean, one of the first things that before we even knew much about aquaculture, we knew that a lot of aquaculture fish um, is actually raised off of wild caught fish, um, which is actually tastes good and is good for the fish, but is, is really bad considering we're emptying kind of one part of this ocean ecosystem. And it doesn't really make sense to fish, fish out of the ocean to feed the farm fish. Um, so feed was always a priority area for us, but also uh, soy, corn. I mean, we don't think we should compete with animals for food that we could eat directly. So we really saw a big opportunity in the feed space kind of early on. One of our first investments was in a, a company that produces microbes, um, that really high protein microbes that are what fish kind of eat in the wild. And also we are invested in an insect company also for fish feed. Um, we, uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but we have we do have a seaweed investment coming out that uh, we haven't announced yet. But I mean, if you look at kind of the perfect uh, perfect formulation of feed for fish, we think microbes, insects, algae um, are pretty good components. And I mean, where 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 is this market in the in the whole scheme of things? Like, I mean, do you feel like it's just? I mean, you're probably just is it just getting started? Um, like where, like where could the the world of blue impact go? Um, and then also, I'm wondering, is that if you expanded the scope to climate change, uh, what sort of how are you navigating that larger topic, which is on everybody's mind, which obviously is acidifying the oceans, which makes your work even harder and makes fish's lives much harder, um, all of our lives much harder. Just trying to understand like where the space is going and also in relationship to the larger climate discussions. Well, so if you if you just take into account um, that our wild catch from the ocean is going to stay as it is, which isn't the case if the ocean, you know, warms um, much further. Um, but if it's going to stay as is, we know we're not going to increase our wild catch. That's kind of all of the sustainable fishing people agree on that, that we're not going to get much more out of the ocean than we are. Um, population is growing um, already kind of just because of growing middle classes and whatnot. We're eating more and more fish. Um, 
the aquaculture industry is projected to need to definitely double, at least triple um, in the next 30 years or so. Um, so, so we're really kind of at the beginning in that aspect. And when you look at the, the, the value chain bits, um, technology, disease battling, I mean, we're in the infancy, infancy, like I don't actually think uh, that it's, it, 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 uh, we're in gestation phase yet, or we're just in gestation phase. Yeah. Um, there's, there's so much that needs to be done. I mean, certain things, like if you look at feed, we've actually in the last 10 years done incredible work with R&D around feed and have identified great feed ingredients that work in lots of ways. It, it's, it's the scaling of those feed ingredients that we have ahead of us. And that's what's going to take a long time and in immense amounts of capital. Um, but uh, I mean, a lot of different species, we still know very little about it biologically systems. I mean, we're seeing RAS systems take off. We haven't yet seen real commercial proof that they work on a large scale. Um, so we're, we're really at the beginning of the aquaculture opportunity. I, I mean, it's just so exciting to see what's happening in cell-based. We actually have a cell-based investment in shrimp um, and plant-based as well. But we really think, I mean, when you look at the, the future of food, um, that, that fish and vegetables are, are pretty much the way to go. Um, and even kind of, you know, decent aquaculture now is no comparison uh, with with beef and other kind of forms of animal protein. Like it's already way better, but we we know we can make it much better than that. And then, so how are you guys piggybacking off the larger discussion of you know of climate? So I'm curious on how, uh, because obviously, I mean, you should have a seat at the table, right? I mean, maybe that's not even the right metaphor, but uh, uh, but I mean, your voice should definitely be a part of this. And I mean, there's obviously, there's talks about the ocean acidifying and, um, you know, and then we hear of plastics, uh, but we don't hear about how this mass global coordination system for fish as a food source, and which is sort of like fundamental, like you're right, probably input to output is much better than like beef, pigs, uh, you know, the larger uh, four-footed animal that, you know, tends to be on grass uh, is not on grass sort of anymore. They're all in feedlots. Um, and as the world gets wealthier, uh, financially wealthier, the first thing people do is they eat more protein and they, they eat more meat because that's a sign of success to some extent, right? And you, you like, you want, you, you want that. If, I mean, your life improves materially, so will your, you know, the quality of those calories to some extent. Um, so I'm curious about how, how, how you're finding your voice in this larger sort of climate uh, discussion. You know, so one of the kind of frustrating things um, for us has been, it's luckily changing quickly, is that it's been really because aquaculture is not benchmarked. So many people are kind of doing things their own way because feed kind of comes from everywhere and it's hard to even know who's feeding what fish, what, um, it's been really hard to kind of uh, get a sense of the like greenhouse gas uh, and footprint and, and understand kind of the dent we're making. A lot of it has been kind of anecdotal and story. Um, I mean, if you look at kind of farming seaweed and growing seaweed at scale in, in, in the ocean, that's kind of, that's going to be immensely in our favor when it comes to kind of climate. Um, but we just, we're not measuring it well yet. We're working with um, IDH and a couple of other partners to, to uh, remedy that. 
Um, so hopefully we can actually really. So now we we were we're on the, kind of the edge of the discussion with the idea, but we don't really have the proof points yet because the metrics aren't there. Um, but that's changing. Yeah, I was just curious on like uh, you're totally right. I mean, I think if you I think if the marine space that you're in can get a real strong sense of what you know the carbon drawdown result is as a result of your work or the you know are less emissions as a result of your work and you know sort of a mitigated uh, carbon uh, footprint. I think it can just work wonders. I'm also curious about ecological restoration. So I mean, we've talked a lot of more about the sort of the scientizing of the supply chain, but um, there's also sort of uh, regional ecological systems that are that you know that also need to be repaired and wondering, how Aquaspark is in communication with like regional ecological restoration work? Um, I mean, we're, and are you kind of speaking on like mangroves and, or do you have something in particular? I mean, mostly what we're doing is we're, we're investing in kind of technologies and practices that, that protect them and, 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 and do things differently. Um, we're not that actively involved in, in restoration work right now with, with these groups through Aquaspark. I see, I see. And, and like, has there been a moment, because I mean, I was just thinking, has there been a moment where you're realizing like, wow, uh, I can't believe how hard it is to, uh, like people are funding companies that are, um, you know, working on pasture, you know, creating uh, a safer straw, but yet my meat source, when I'm trying to describe the value of spirulina to people or this particular fish that's now fed properly, that's restoring it, I'm having to have eight different investor calls just to get them to like step up and make and like see, sort of see the light. I'm just sort of interesting on how the messaging has went with, I mean, investors and, and the storyline. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I feel like the, the more simple we keep the messaging, the better response we get. But yeah. actually, the 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 real interesting like stuff around aquaculture is when you start to dig deeper and get a little technical, um, because it is a complex industry. Uh, you know, and it's a, a lot of people get the the macro picture of what we're trying to do, and they find it exciting. Yeah. Um, no one knows the space. No one understands the space. It's farming and it's oceans and it's scary and it's so we're we're definitely you know we're getting a lot more pickup now but it's taken time to kind of get this investor groundswell behind us for sure I mean not to uh, you know you know but tonic actually and, and groups like tonic played a big role in helping to facilitate and foster that dialogue um, where we could get a little bit more technical and kind of talk people through all the different aspects of aquaculture and what we were trying to achieve. And so we were really lucky to be able to kind of launch with these like impact investors behind us supporting our work in a big way. Um, but but when you look at what the industry needs, I mean, I mentioned it just in feed, but it, it needs, again, immense amounts of capital to really scale some of these solutions and drive them forward um, on a global level. Um, and so you know, you're, we're getting to the point where we need to see the institutional players, the DFIs and others start to really start to take aquaculture seriously. Um, and it seems like it's, it's been seeming like it's happening, but it's still not happening. It's, <laughs> it's going to happen, but like, let's see it happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
And it just came to me that everything that I'm involved in is above the ground and above water and outside of water. Uh, Everything that you're involved in is actually out of you, uh, you know, I mean, to some extent, right? Yeah, like even uh, to a large extent, it's happening underneath the surface, which inherently becomes mysterious uh, to, you know, first of all, the great big ocean, the collective oceans that we have on Earth is an enormous amount of mystery, right? It's like, what's out there? And I mean, people go there to look, you know, I mean, you go to the cliff to look as far as you can, and you can't but help feel and touch the face of like God as a result of just looking over the sheer expansiveness. At the same time, there's a particular like surreal eeriness to our, 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 our infinitesimal smallness relative to this big body of water. And now you're saying it's like, yeah. And then I, everything I do that I bring to the world involves going underneath the water to make life happen above the water. Can you, I, I'm just, I don't know, this is just sort of an evolving discovery as I listen to you. When I when I first started to work with Sylvia and we were kind of working on different campaigns around kind of getting people more aware of the ocean, um, just the ocean in general, and then what the ocean is going through. Um, it was really hard for me to like to understand uh, the disconnect between people in the ocean because once you kind of take them on a, a journey with with underwater vehicles or whatever it might yeah. be, like, there's no denying it's one of the most magical places in the world, and we still know so little about it. And it's just that like pull people in, but I, there is this, you, you might've nailed it with this kind of sense of fear, or maybe it's too unknown, or my kind of theory back then was that certain people were ocean people. And so if you didn't identify as an ocean person, you didn't connect to the ocean. And like, somehow you had to have an ocean badge or not. And I don't know why somebody thought somebody was doling them out when in, in actuality, like we're all really connected to the ocean with every breath we take. Um, so luckily that that piece is changing now but i do think aquaculture has had some of the same kind of challenges in that people don't know aquaculture i mean it's but again it's what pulled mike and i in we were like what do you mean it's the fastest growing food system and that we eat almost as many fish that are farmed than we catch from the ocean and like why isn't everybody talking about that and why have i never seen a picture of a fish farm um that like opaqueness um, is is scary when it comes to food production, and like that truly that was one of the things that really got me going. Like that that it feels like we should know where our food comes from and how it's produced, and and this whole sector um, is producing out of sight, and we don't even you know. And so 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 you're right, and it does both things. It keeps people away, but it does also draw in people because of curiosity and because of kind of wanting to be a part of this unknown thing. Um, Well, and we're also socialized into, you know, from Moby Dick to Jaws, we are um, socialized into thinking of the oceans as dangerous, one. And then two is just physiologically, we are only inclined and can only see the top. And so even when you do an activity as simple as snorkeling, and it just as you know, just this idea of one foot, uh, like a one foot difference between the surface and going underneath the water with a darn five dollar snorkel, and you realize that all of a sudden you're seeing a sea turtle and you're seeing all this marine life and fish, and you're right, it is like fantasy. It, I mean, it feels like a Disney movie in terms of 
the, like animation to, you know, to large extents and, and the magic starts happening. And so, um, you know, I mean, the work, the work that you're doing, Amy, is in some ways, it's like, hey, yeah, I'm a protein. I, yeah, sure, I'm talking about food systems. But in essence, I'm also talking about there's an enormous amount of magic that's worth us participating in, being a part in, and also being in partnership with, and not and and not treating the oceans like a big dump site. For sure, I and mean, to me, a big part of the magic comes from the interconnectedness of the ocean. Like I'm, I, mm. you know, when you start kind of seeing the ocean's food chain, and and you and you were like. One of the th- stories that got me right at the beginning was um, when you go to the, the fish meal fisheries that you, are usually manhaden or anchovies, or when you go to the kind of the areas where there are those fisheries, we now don't have marine uh, birds um, because they no longer, you know, they're dependent on fish meal that we're now basically emptying to feed farm fish and other pet foods and other animals. Um, and when, and I, you know, there are great groups out there working on um, more sustainable and responsible fishing, and there's a lot of good happening there. But to me, when you think of this like perfect ecosystem that works because this species eats this species and it's all interconnected, um, that we're taking out chunks of it make no sense to me whatsoever. Um, mm. And and I do think that we, it's still the fact that like that that like everyone knows that what makes this planet habitable is the ocean, but I don't think people consciously think about it a lot. Um, so that makes it even crazier that we use it as a dumping ground. I agree with you fully. <laughs> Amy Novogratz, I'm going to end on that passion comment. You just, uh, I just love uh, uh, the fire of the share and uh, you know, I love Aquaspark. I I love the story behind it. I love the systemic uh, thinking behind it. But in essence, it's you and a small group of people who are behind it, who wake up each and every day and um, are globally, maybe not traveling the world at the moment too much, but uh, you know, are are really global citizens and are also missionaries for uh, the ocean. So I mean, thank you so much for for the good work. Can I, can I, I know we're ending on that, but can I just correct you with, with one thing? It's yeah. not, it's not me in a small group. It's actually a really large, I mean, relatively small, sure. But it's, I mean, we have 250 investors, tons of partners and organizations um, with our accelerator company. I think we're at 70 entrepreneurs and startups. Like it, It's growing really rapidly. There's no way we could do it if it were just me and a small group and in a really incredible team that's growing as well. So. It, it's you know little by little but it's it's getting bigger and bigger gino thank you so much thank you for listening to the journey to impact if you enjoyed this episode help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on apple podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com.